You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to visit with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com, John Harris from the Texans broadcast crew, provide your fantasy fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com, and talk Pro Bowl with Peter O'Reilly, the NFL Senior Vice President of Events. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Peter King from MMQB. Now, it's time for 2010 National Sports Writer of the Year, Peter King, from MMQB on the NFL on TuneIn. Peter, busy day. We appreciate you taking the time. We have to start in New England after all the trade talk we had about Jimmy Garoppolo last year prior to the draft. Why do you think the Patriots decided to trade him now, and do you like the deal? I don't like the deal. I think that when you have a 40-year-old quarterback, you want to back him up as long as possible with a guy who, if you lose that 40-year-old quarterback, who you think is going to be able to keep winning games. Um, In my opinion, uh, I think I just – I don't like taking Jimmy Garoppolo away when you've got 11 games to win to try to win another Super Bowl. As to why they did it, um, I think Bill Belichick became convinced that there was no way they were going to be able to sign Jimmy Garoppolo to a Brock Osweiler-like contract. In other words, the kind of contract that the Broncos offered Osweiler uh, to stay after Peyton Manning, um, you know, in whatever the range was, $15, 17000000 million a year, uh, with some incentives if he did become the full-time quarterback. And once Belichick saw that there was no chance, he said, well, we're going to try to get something for him. My biggest problem, really, Brian, is that, is that you know, the New England Patriots will get, let's, say, let's estimate now, the, the 35th pick in the draft uh, in 2018. And they could have had, just by simply taking the compensatory pick when Garoppolo leaves in free agency, say the 98th pick in the 2019 draft. I realize that it's a year later and it's significantly down in the draft. But the Patriots have always been a tremendous drafting team down the line with guys. And that's why I would much rather have the insurance of having Garoppolo there the rest of this year than a draft advantage of about 60 slots. Peter, you have to assume that the assumed or knew this was probably going to be the case where they didn't want to give him that type of money, but at the same time they kept him around for this amount of time. You think if they would have made this move earlier, it could have been more beneficial for both parties, but I think Jimmy Garoppolo comes out on top because he gets to go to a new organization in a sense, get a chance to get with Kyle Shanahan and build that team around him over some time. Part of, uh, part of this story, Cordell, in my opinion, is that you know the Patriots in effect, and whether they there was any intention of this whatsoever, in effect, the Patriots did Garoppolo a big favor. You know, it's possible that Garoppolo could have ended up with Cleveland or with the Jets. Um, you know, I mean, if he went, if he became a free agent, the Jets might have offered him twenty five million a year, some ridiculous sum of money. So, uh, in essence, by going to San Francisco. Uh, this is this to me with Kyle. I'd like to play for Kyle Shanahan if I were a quarterback. Um, this is a team that has a lot of really good young talent on defense, and uh, it's got Kyle Shanahan and a bright young general manager in John Lynch. Uh, I I think that he went to the best place for him. Taking you around the league with Peter King, MMQB. Peter, now that Jimmy Garoppolo's in San Francisco, where do you think Kirk Cousins is going to be playing next season? Well, I would have said 24 hours ago, my, my, uh, my best guess is San Francisco with a ton of cap room uh, and the fact that I think Cousins really would like to play, would have liked to have played for Kyle Shanahan. But now that that possibility is flown out the window, uh, my gut feeling is that Washington is going to find a way to keep him. I think one of the things, if you're Kirk Cousins, it's a kind of a be careful what you wish for thing. If he were out on the open market free to sign anywhere, 
what happens if the Cleveland Browns offer you five years, $150 million? some insane sum of money to come and be their quarterback, and, and you take it? What if you get stuck in franchise quicksand? I mean, you know, Cordell Stewart knows this. I mean, the fact that the fact that he, uh, how do you like if 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 somebody said to you know to Cordell Stewart in his prime, or even when uh, you know if he if 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 he could draw the perfect picture, where do you want to play, Pittsburgh or Cleveland? And by the way, you could make more money in Cleveland. I, I think there's an awful lot of players out there who said, I I, I don't want to go to Cleveland. Look at Joe Hayden. Joe Hayden died and went to heaven. He's a Steeler now. He's got a chance every Sunday. The Steelers, uh, you know, have make sure that you're going to have a chance to win all the time. In Cleveland, they're one in twenty-three in their last twenty-four games. So, I, I, I just my opinion. I think that uh, I, I, you know, I think that that uh, Garoppolo, uh, whether whether, and we'll find out if this is a part of the story. But Garoppolo has to be thrilled that he didn't get stuck in Cleveland. And speaking of being thrilled, how about out in Seattle when you look at Dwayne Brown who got an opportunity to go out there and protect the blind side of, of the quarterback and Russell Wilson who just put up 452 yards in the air without an offensive line that's going to be much better when adding Dwayne, well, Dwayne Brown. Yeah, my feeling about that really is that, uh, and I got a pretty strong feeling on Sunday that this is going to happen because, look, it's this, this story – uh, Ian Rappaport reported it for NFL Network, and I think he was absolutely onto something. That uh, that there had been discussions between Seattle and Houston about a straight up uh, Jimmy Graham for Dwayne Brown trade. It made incredible sense for both sides. Uh, but then the Seahawks basically decided, okay, we're not going to trade Jimmy Graham. As I pointed out in my column on Monday. Uh, if you trade Jimmy Graham, you are really uh, you're you're pissing off Russell Wilson. Quite honestly, uh, that's his best friend on the team. It's a guy who, as the game Sunday showed, he was the go-to guy in the fourth fourth quarter, the last two touchdown passes. Russell Wilson wants Jimmy Graham badly on this team, and so. Uh, you know, so then you know the Seahawks basically said well, we got to find a way to make it work another way, and they sent basically a nickel corner and and a two and a five to get them. But the trade makes an awful lot of sense for both sides in in part because I think Houston, uh, I, I think Dwayne Brown was going to be a very unhappy camper if he had to stay in Houston. Peter, as always, we appreciate the information. Have a great week, and we'll chat with you Sunday on NFL First and Goal on TuneIn Premium. All the best, guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 Wireless Headphones 2. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones to today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the Pro Bowl with Peter O'Reilly, the NFL Senior Vice President of Events. Let's start with what's coming up in Orlando. Looking back, as we think about the takeaways from last year's first year in Orlando, what stood out to you? Because in many ways, it was a celebration of all levels of our sport in addition to the game itself. Yeah, our focus was not just on that Pro Bowl game on Sunday, but creating this week-long celebration in Orlando where we had youth and high school teams, our biggest flag tournament of the year going on, high school, a thousand high school coaches on the ground coming together, the biggest coming together of high school coaches, and then the 88 all-stars inviting their high school coach to join them and be honored down there and then ultimately play to win additional dollars to support their high school. So that was the theme throughout the Pro Bowl. And then it was a great week. We brought the skills showdown back. We hadn't done a skills event in a while. The fans loved that. That was a lot of fun. Dodgeball was a hit. So we'll be bringing that back this year again and then culminating with uh, with what should be a great game uh, on that Sunday. So a good year one, and then we got to take it to another level in, in year two down in Orlando. 
You mentioned the theme. Uh, one thing we know for sure way back when I was playing, it sounded like a long, long time ago, the 90s, right? A long, long time ago. Uh, <laughs> it was Hawaii. The theme was vacation. You know, it was good times. Now you, you add the, the extras of bringing some coaches back to some families, being a part of the Disney life. Uh, tell me, what's the next theme that we're looking forward to? Uh, is it going to be that continuous thing there in Orlando? Or is there something on the horizon down the road that we can look forward to that's going to be just as exciting as fun? Yeah, I think for now, we, we really love what Orlando provides, and I think you're right. For players, it's they love the tie and giving back to the next level of the game and tying in, but it's also a chance to come together and, and all, of, all of the great stars in one place with your family, and Orlando provides that as well. Hawaii is different, but we created some great experiences for the players down there, shutting down parts of Disney Park for them and their families at different times. So you've got that vacation element. But this idea of, at the end of our season, bringing the best of all levels of the game together in one place um, and being able to showcase that is really cool. We played the 13 and 14 boys flag championships at halftime of the Pro Bowl last year on ESPN and gave them a huge stage like a Little League World Series. So I think, Cordell, that theme will continue um, at least for the next few years because that's, that's so important to our game, and, and the guys had a great time down there. Getting you set for the Pro Bowl. In Orlando again this January with our friend Peter O'Reilly, the NFL Senior Vice President of Events. Peter, we know the league is always striving, always hoping to do more. You mentioned now it's about taking the game to the next level in Orlando. How do you achieve that? I think, you know, we are trying to create more that entire week. We Last year, we played the game at night, um, which was fine, but this year we'll move it to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a more family-friendly time, so that'll be good. So encourage everybody to take the trip down there. We've got four days of activities where fans can come out, see free practices with the AFC and NFC teams, and we've created a whole Pro Bowl experience where you can come out as a fan and try some of those skills that uh, the players are doing. So you can come down, take your family, have four days of a lot of free activities, and then come to the game as well on that afternoon for an accessible ticket. The, you know, the, the tickets start at $45, so a great opportunity to come down and be a part of it. So we learned a lot, and then layering in that, that opportunity to bring so many youth and high school teams together down there during that end-of-season period is, is where we're trying to, to raise the bar. When you look at the landscape of, of Disney and in the area that they're in, uh, how easy was the moving portion of everything for us going from one place to another, one event to the other, and also being able to get to the games when it comes down to the fans and what the one, the few that hadn't had an opportunity to go in are listening. What are they looking forward to when it comes down to that opportunity to be a part of that? Yeah, the great part about Orlando is, and Disney is they know how to put on big events. The facilities are amazing. Our, our home base is at ESPN Wide World of Sports. They've got incredible facilities, fields there. Um, the state, Camping World Stadium is a great stadium. All of the hotels are great. And then you can go down there, have this football Pro Bowl experience, and then couple that with, with going to the parks and having a good time. So, um there's some surprises still in order. We have we're going to make some changes to the skills competition, um, and we'll be announcing those soon. But uh, so I think kind of stay tuned for that. We'll be bringing also in some new captains, uh, legends captains to uh, to help coach the two teams. We'll be announcing that soon as well. So um, a few more things coming down the pike in the coming weeks. For ticket information for the Pro Bowl coming up year two in Orlando in January, it's NFL.com/slash/ProBowl on sale. Peter, we know there's no off season in your office. Once the Pro Bowl is done, it's on to Minnesota for the Super Bowl. I've read this is really going to be a regional effort in the Twin Cities. Roughly, how many different entities have you been interfacing with? Uh, we, we, it's really a statewide. The, the whole state of Minnesota has come together behind this. Just one good example is we always have great volunteer interest around the Super Bowl, but we opened up the, the volunteer website, and we had 30,000 uh, fans uh, register to be volunteers right off. That blew away any record. Um, clearly, there's pent-up um, interest in being involved in the Super Bowl in Minnesota, and there's just every entity across the state is, is going make it, to make it great. We haven't been there since Super Bowl 26. It's a beautiful new stadium in U.S. Bank Stadium, and uh, what's great about it is, yes, it's it's a cold Super Bowl, beautiful and warm inside U.S. Bank, but we're embracing that experience and what we're calling the bold north up there. Um, a lot of good energy up in Minnesota these days. The Vikings are playing well, and uh, the Super Bowl energy in the state is strong for sure.
back down to to the Pro Bowl. It's a time where, where players get an opportunity to come together with their family and friends and play the game. Did you find during the free time that they were hanging out with Mickey and Minnie a little bit more when they had a chance to go to the park? So they took themselves a little too serious. Yeah, no, there, there was some solid Mickey and Minnie time in there. So they uh, they were meeting up the characters. We had all of the uh, Disney characters over at practice, and some of the Pro Bowl players uh, starred in one of the parades there in the Magic Kingdom. So there were some some good moments for the players and their families who uh, they kind of uh, they you know you know that experience. It's about having fun and uh, the pretty unique opportunity of being being together with uh, the stars of the game all in one place. Finally, Peter, we're going to chat with you in advance of the. Pro Bowl again late December, early January to get the final details of that special event. But we're really excited to take the show to Arlington for the draft coming up in April. Thinking about the massive venue that is AT&T Stadium, how does that impact your planning and then the execution of the event? Yeah, we, uh, you know, clearly the draft keeps growing every year. Last year in Philadelphia, the Eagles fans were amazing and, and Philadelphia was great. And we had to think about how do you take that to the next level? And working with the Dallas Sports Commission and the Cowboys down there, we are now mapping out what that looks like at AT&T Stadium for the draft. And it's it's going to be different. It's going to be an indoor-outdoor draft experience. So we're going to build a theater that really uh, points one direction uh, in of the stadium and then open opens up as you, those of you who have been in that stadium you know the doors can open up and you can go out to the plaza so it's going to be that indoor outdoor vibe with a lot of standing room but the great thing about it is we can have so many people down there across those 3 days create an incredible experience allow fans again as as you guys know the draft is free so you can come down have that experience um, if you've never been to the stadium before um, and for the first time ever that's not going to be just a Cowboys branded experience down there that's going to be uh, the home of all 32 teams on that day, and you're going to see every single jersey in those uh, seats. So we're excited. We're going to spend a lot of time in Dallas and putting the plans together, but um, we couldn't be more excited to be headed to Texas with the draft. Peter, always a pleasure. We appreciate the time and the information, and we'll chat with you again as we get closer to year two of the Pro Bowl in Orlando. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Cordell. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Is a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern, only on TuneIn Premium. Upgrade today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we talk Houston football with Texan sideline analyst John Harris. John, let's talk about the trade of Dwayne Brown. So you foreshadowed that move a week ago saying that he could be dealt, but let's just get into the timing. We know that deadlines are catalysts and they spur action still. Brown coming off the holdout, played in that amazing game on Sunday in Seattle. Why did it make sense for the team to deal him now? Well, it's a great question, Brian. I think think this had been in the works for a while. I think it's something that, that Dwayne had wanted for a while. I think... He had gotten to a point where his, I don't know the right way of saying this is, but his kind of his, his useful life, if you will, in Houston, I think it just kind of reached his end in, in his opinion. And I think there were just things that he wanted to see a little bit differently that, that weren't going to happen here in Houston. And I think it was that and a number of things. I think he wanted the team to look at his contract. Um, and I think it was just for him, as he looked at everything over the years, he just kind of felt like it was time to move on. And, Seattle was a team that we, we've talked about this a few times, I think, about Seattle being the team that I, I, I felt like was probably targeted all along. That was probably the team closest to winning a championship that he could have gone to. Now, Philadelphia could have been the other one, but with Seattle, it's a little bit more proven. With, with Philadelphia, it's a, it's a little bit more of a calculated risk, but you like what they're doing. Um, but he just felt like Seattle was the right way to go. He's got a, a, a home out in L.A., uh, I know L.A. and Seattle aren't neighbors, but at least you're on the West Coast from that standpoint. But it, it just, Brian, was seemingly time to go for him. Now, where do the Texans go from here? Well, Chris Clark, if he comes back healthy, will be the guy. He had been the guy without Dwayne. 
They'll go back to Chris Clark, and it might even be the rookie Julian Davenport. Now, does it make the Texans better in the short term? No, but hopefully with a few games uh, as they continue with Chris Clark, a guy they have experience with that has experience with this offense, that it will be maybe not seamless, but there won't be a bunch of hills and valleys, if you will. But the guy that had, actually had started with Deshaun four or five weeks in a row before Dwayne got back for this game for Seattle. John, when you look at how this team played on um, this past Sunday, um, how can how can I say this to you? Both both teams had the opportunity to score, which means the defenses are out on the football field for an extended period of time, you know, or even short period of time. This team in in, in the Houston Texans, they don't have a, an efficient running game to where they can eat more of the clock. They can eat up the clock a little bit more to keep an offense. Uh, like the Russell Wilsons of the world, from getting on the football field and throwing for 452 yards. How can you slow that down just a little bit? Because Deshaun Watson's doing a phenomenal job of getting the ball in the end zone. I think in seven games he has, what, 19 touchdowns, the most of any quarterback in the history of it. Um, That kind of football can get the ball back to the other team fast, which now keeps your defense out on the football field. Do you think that's a healthy strategy or scheme moving forward for them to be well, I think what's interesting about it, Cordell, is it's the complete opposite thing we were thinking about with this defense the last few years because the defense was the one unit that you wanted to see on the field. But I'm, I'm glad you brought that up in the way that you did because, you know, in essence, I think the question becomes, and, and a lot of people have asked it around Houston, you know, it's third and four. You should have been able to run the ball for a first down or should you have called a pass? Should you have trusted Deshaun Watson? Because did you want your defense going back out there to have to tangle with, with Russell Wilson one more time. And, look, we saw it in New England, and we saw it in Seattle. I think the difference with the games against New England and Seattle was against New England, we had J.J. Watt, we had Whitney Merciless, we had those two guys in the lineup. Well, you just take those two, just take two bodies out of the lineup, take out Christian Covington, and you're, you're down manpower. And I think that was one of the issues late in that game with when Russell Wilson got the ball back, that defense was gassed. Those guys have been on the field a long time. And you're right, Cordell. I think the running game has got to, it's got to get better. There's no question. And that's the thing. There have been times when it's been really good. There are times when the running game has been solid. The other day they had moments, but it's just not consistent enough right now. But I do think as the run game improves, and I think it will, and I think it has to, I think that will definitely help the defense. I mean, what's the, what's the old axiom? You know, the best uh, defenses win championships. Offense put butts in seats. Defense wins championships. Well, if you have a good offensive ground game, that can help you win championships too because that's going to keep your defense rested and ready for the third and fourth quarter. And that's where the two big losses have come in for the Texans. Uh, three losses, actually, because the Chiefs did it too in the fourth quarter. They're getting a little bit gassed, and I think that's where they're really feeling the effects of no Whitney Merciless, no J.J. Watt. And then a secondary that has been without Kevin Johnson for a significant period, and I think one of the guys that is really showing up as being a loss is A.J. Boye, who ended up going to the Jaguars. Without Boye, it's been really tough for the secondary this year, and I know that's one that people in Houston have really regretted not having A.J. Boye. Not only that, going to the Jaguars in the division. It's our weekly visit with John Harris, sideline analyst, Texans Radio Network, Texans Team Channel here on TuneIn. John, when we all got together covering those joint practices between the Patriots and the Texans of West Virginia, you mentioned that you've known Bill O'Brien since you were college classmates at Brown University. So given that relationship, what would you make of O'Brien taking count of what was going on through the post-game setting, and he was actually very candid. A lot of coaches don't address down and distance, and he said, yeah, it was on me for not staying aggressive enough with the play calling late in the game. Well, I think what's interesting about it, Brian, first of all, I wasn't surprised at all that he took, and he does this every single week, and I, and I applaud him for this. Because you don't, you don't see this from NFL coaches across the board. He said, look, this team wins. The team gets credit. We lose. I take the blame, and Bill's always felt that. And, he, and that's the thing. He honestly feels that he could have done something. And, and it's interesting because I asked him about the very first drive of the game, and you guys, you guys played that clip right there of, of Will Fuller and the bomb. And he said, against Seattle, our plan going in was to we had to attack. We had to attack. And they did. 
and they really attacked the game all game long until that final drive where they really kind of went into a shell. They And, look, they got Seattle to call the timeouts. That was big. But I think when Bill O'Brien put his head on the pillow for all of about 45 minutes, I think is what the amount of sleep he got when he got home, is he thought about that very thing, not staying aggressive. Now, how many times after the Super Bowl did we say about Atlanta Falcons, well, man, they should have run the ball. And then people said, well, that's what Atlanta does. They stay aggressive and they throw it. And eh, you could play it either way. But I think Bill O'Brien, with the mantra that he had followed all game long, he did feel like I should have been more aggressive in that moment. Or at a minimum, I should have had Deshaun Watson carry the football with some sort of run-pass option. And I think that's what, going forward, what I think Bill will find is that Lamar Miller, Deontay Foreman, the running backs, the running game, I got Deshaun Watson. That's the guy I want the ball in the hands of no matter what in that situation. And I'll live and die with that guy because of all the players on the squad, even though he's a rookie, I get the feeling that Bill O'Brien trusts him more than anyone. When you watch Deshaun Watson play, do you get chills watching it because you've never seen it happen before there in Houston from the standpoint of it started off wondering if Tom Savage was going to be the guy. People saw how much you know, football and how good of football Deshaun Watson was playing, not knowing for sure if it was good enough. But then all of a sudden, you know, with that thought you had in the back of your mind that he could possibly be the starter, he's not the starter, and then he gets in and play now, and, and look how he's actually playing. I mean, he puts up over 400 yards passing two consecutive weeks at 300 yards or more. I mean, this is pretty phenomenal for 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 a rookie, let alone uh, now looking like you're going to have to get on his back and, and ride uh, this train off into hopefully maybe winning the division or just competing to be in it uh, to maybe get a chance to go back to the postseason. The way that he's playing, the one team you're not going to want to face if the Texans can get in the playoffs is this one. And it's so, it's so interesting you ask me that because I think about that a lot. I see him around the building. And I just I sometimes have to pinch myself to say, Sean Watson plays for us. He's a Texan. And, and we've been looking for that guy for so long, uh, whether it's with the Texans or the Oilers, when the Oilers were here. I mean, we had it with Warren Moon. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, the next Warren Moon will come along. And, and then that never happened. And then it was David Carr and Sage Rosenfels and Schaub and then the litany of quarterbacks that have been in the last few years and Osweiler. It's like, you know, that next Warren Moon never came. Well, now the next Warren Moon is here, and he does things differently, but he sometimes step back and go, this young man is 22 years old. He's taking the NFL by storm. This offense has gone from being completely inept in 2016 to being the highest-scoring offense in the league under his guidance, and and it's just amazing to see. And I see him do things now, and and I don't want to say they, they seem routine, but the touchdown throw that he has to make it 31-27 where he spun away from the same guy twice and then found Lamar Miller, who's not even in the route. He was just leaking out of there because he had the, the play action fake to him and had somewhere to go. He's doing things like that, and we just kind of shake our heads and go, you've got to be kidding me. We, like, he's ours? Yeah, he plays for us. Really? Like, we don't have to watch Ryan Fitzpatrick and Mallet and Hoyer. And all. We don't have to watch them anymore. We get to watch this every week. Yeah, it's a true, it's a true gift um, that he is here, and hopefully he'll keep it up because he's creating some kind of synergy with his receivers. The offensive line loves blocking for him. Lamar Miller, the running backs, love playing alongside of him. Um, it's, it's been a real joy to watch him. And, guys, the World Series Game 6 is going on. It's the hottest thing in Houston. The Texans could very easily have fallen by the wayside as being completely irrelevant at 3-4. and four. But because Deshaun Watson is playing the way he is for them, it's made the Texans, it's like World Series talk, Watson. World Series talk, Watson and the Texans. It's really kind of sharing equal time when the Astros should completely dominate the city. People are talking about Deshaun Watson amidst all of that, even in a loss like they had against Seattle. And that's what happens when you have a star in the making of the quarterback position. John, we appreciate the information, and we'll chat with you next week after the Texans host the Colts. Thank you, John. Absolutely, boys. Take care. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let's say all you want to do is listen to a little sports talk on TuneIn, but all you hear is a lot of noise with Bose QC35 wireless headphones, too. You just flip a switch, and suddenly the sports talk comes through loud and clear. Bose QC35s are engineered with world-class noise cancellation, hassle-free wireless technology, and up to 20 hours of battery life. 
Lose the noise, lose the wires, lose yourself in sports talk. Visit Bose.com slash no huddle to experience Bose QC35 headphones too today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's spotlight America's team with Mickey Spagnola from DallasCowboys.com. Mickey, let's start with Ezekiel Elliott. Now the suspension is back on. How much confidence the Cowboys have in their group of running backs moving forward? Alfred Morris, Darren McFadden, and Rod Smith. Well, we're getting ready to find out, aren't we? Uh, you know, there's a reason why they kept these guys on the roster. Um, there's a reason why they uh, kept two veterans, uh, because they obviously knew at some point this could happen, and that's how they prepared for the future. Uh, well, the future's here, uh, and we're going to see how it works. You know, the funny thing to me is that uh, for seven weeks or seven games, uh, they kept Darren McFadden on this roster, and he was inactive. So to me, they kept him for a reason. We'll see if my logic plays out that they were keeping him on ice in case this happened and make sure he had fresh legs and make sure if indeed Ezekiel Elliott uh, was suspended. Now he's suspended. They'll begin, uh, you know, preparation uh, for Kansas City on Wednesday, and we'll see how they how they work it. But uh, I think, you know, it's, it, it, it'll probably be B by committee. I think Rod Smith's been giving, getting more and more work uh, in the offense as a running back. Uh, they've seen what Alfred Morris can do as a backup, uh, but there's got to be a reason that they, they kept Darren McFadden around. So we'll see how that plays out, and you just got to hope that uh, your offensive line continues to play as consistently as it has in these last two games, and then you can have a respectable running game uh, where people just say, you know what? I'm going to see if you can beat me running the ball. I'm going to make sure Dak to Dez or Dak to Bryce Butler doesn't beat me on one place for 72 yards. Mickey, how does the how does the how did the scheme of things change for the defensive side of the football? Because now it has to be strategy that's involved. Because you don't have uh, Ezekiel Elliott in the mix anymore. He's gone for six weeks. So now, when you love to have Alfred Morris, you would love to have Darren McFadden do it he was doing, you know, that's a stretch. How do you alter what you do on a defensive side of the football to at least try to, let's just say, alter or at least, let's just say, fix or help what the problem may be? I'm not sure I follow you, but I think I do. So you mean the Cowboys' defense, do they play it differently from a yes. scheme standpoint? To In comparison sure to what they've done. on the field as much? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. I don't know that they're good enough to be able to uh, to adjust uh, that type of philosophy. I think from a defensive standpoint, you know, their number one goal has always been stop the run, stop the run. Uh, in the games they've won, they've stopped the run. In the games they've lost, they haven't stopped the run. So I think that still remains priority number one. Uh, I don't know that they take more chances. Uh, they did do a little bit more blitzing this last game against the Redskins, uh, but that might have to do with the Redskins uh, kind of juggled offensive line and the injuries they were uh, dealing with. Uh, but again, I think they still have to have this philosophy that we got to try not to give up big plays. They gave up big plays against the Redskins. Uh, so I, I just don't know that you become more aggressive than you already were because you think, well, I got to get off the field and I got to get more takeaways. These last two games they won, they've had three takeaways in each game. Uh, They've had five and four sacks in each game. So if the pressure on the quarterback could continue uh, to compound the way it has over the last couple weeks, uh, I think they've got something going defensively. But again, it was Washington with a beat up offensive line. It was winless San Francisco. They basically did what you should have done to those teams, but is that good enough to beat a team like Kansas City or on the road against Atlanta or Philadelphia that continues the streak? And all that stuff you guys are asking, we're going to find out with this team over the next three weeks. As you alluded to, 6-2 and two Chiefs coming off their Monday night football victory over Denver, coming to town on Sunday. We are chatting with Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com. Check him out. Talking Cowboys is terrific weekdays. You can listen to that outstanding program on the Cowboys team channel here on TuneIn. 
Mickey, we never talk special teams, but with no Ezekiel Elliott pending legal developments, that third of the game becomes all the more important. And we rarely talk about kickers, but how about the job Mike Nugent did filling in for Dan Bailey, the most accurate kicker in league history, on the road, in the rain in Washington? I know he missed one, but he was important on Sunday. No, absolutely. And I don't know, you know, what everybody was expecting around here uh, from Mike Nugent, who had played in the league for 12 years prior to uh, jumping in uh, on Sunday. Uh, My thought was, hey, Mike, just make the extra points, you know, just make the extra points. And then anything we get on the field goals is gravy. Uh, And he goes out there and he misses the first one from 49 yards. He hooked it. Uh, as I noticed in his warm-ups, he had this pronounced hook in his kicks, no matter where they were from. And when I saw the ball on the left hash, you know, I kind of said, oh, this isn't good. And sure enough, he hooked it. But you know what? One of the reasons why they kept him was because he'd been around the NFL block a time or two. He was a 12-year veteran. And so I thought being a veteran helped him say, okay, I missed it. Didn't miss it by much. I just got to go back out there and take it one kick at a time, and then he makes four straight. So uh, that was, you know, very fortunate that he was able to kick that well when he hadn't kicked uh, all season long since training camp when the got released by the Giants. Uh, now you go forward, and maybe you don't hold your breath quite as much as you might have with him going into the game for the first time. And I think the fortunate thing for him, and as he pointed out, you know, uh, the the deep snapper, the holder, these guys have been together so long. Boy, the operation was really smooth, and I didn't have to worry about anything but myself and downpouring rain and slippery field. Uh, but other than that, he handled it. And the other thing that's been happening on special teams is they've been forcing some takeaways, uh, and, and that's something the Cowboys have struggled with uh, over the last couple of years and even early uh, this year. Um you know, they, they, they just couldn't seem, they'd knock the ball out, but couldn't seem to recover a fumble. Well, they've had a takeaway on special teams in each of the last two games. Uh, and, you know, you know, glory be, they even had an interception in this game defensively, even if it was a tip ball that popped up straight in the air. Uh, but they hadn't had an interception since game two. So when you ask about the defense, one of the things they can do to help out is create some takeaways and give this offense a shorter field like they have in the last couple games instead of forcing this offense always to go, uh, you know, 80 yards, 90 yards to, to score a touchdown. Give them a short field. Help out with a return now and then uh, on special teams uh, to add to what this offense can do. I know you said that you play the game uh, on weekends to determine how good teams are, how good teams can be, what they're going to do. But when watching Philadelphia, what do you think it's going to take for the Dallas Cowboys to play up to that level of football? Because they're playing some of the best football of any team throughout the National Football League. I'll tell you the thing that scares me the most about them is their defense, Uh, their ability to get to the quarterback, their ability to stop the run. Uh, So it's going to be imperative when the Cowboys play them that their offensive line is hitting on all cylinders, protect Dak, create a a little bit of a space for the running backs to to sneak through. I think between that and, 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 you know, making sure that Philadelphia doesn't get that running game going. And now with Jay Ajayi, uh, I'm sure they're feeling good about the possibilities of running the ball uh, better. Uh, So I think still the Cowboys, even though Wentz has done this and Wentz has done that, they got to make sure teams don't run the ball on them because, uh, and I may have told you guys this before, but the three teams they lost to uh, Denver rushes for 170, 78 yards. Then they give up 168 to the Rams uh, and and then gave up the, the 160 to the Packers with a rookie running back starting for the first time. Can't have it. You know, as Mike Singletary said, can't win that way either. <laughs> uh, and so those are a couple of things that I think would be premium uh, playing if they if and when they get to play the Eagles. Uh, it'll certainly be the same thing against uh, Kansas City this week. They've got to control the run uh, and then take care of the pass. You can't do it the other way around. Otherwise, you get yourself beat. Mickey, great information as always. Enjoy your week. We'll chat with you next week after the marquee matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, guys. Talk to you then. See ya. 
You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. The passion. 15-10, The fury. Inhaled in the backfield. Sack for the Huskies. The speed. Here's the home run ball. He's out there. He catches it. The best in college football from coast to coast. Touchdown, Notre Dame. 13-0 Buckeye. On the goal line. Touchdown, Texas. Ball's on the carpet. Georgia says we have it. He's in. Touchdown, this is the Nissan College Football Blitz. Listen on Saturdays this fall on College Sports Now on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for today's Fantasy Fix with Michael Harmon from SwollenDome.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30. He's gone. He's gone. What a move. It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up. From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the Fantasy Fix. Always a pleasure to talk fantasy football with our pal Michael Harmon, SwollenDome.com. Mike, take you back to last year. Jay Ajayi, a huge surprise. He finished in the top five in rushing, in part because he had back-to-back 200-yard rushing performances. Now he's on his way to Philadelphia. What's the fantasy value in a rotation that includes LeGarrette Blunt and Wendell Smallwood? Figure we got to bounce him up a bit. You're playing behind a better offensive line, more consistent downfield passing game, uh, and that's me being very nice and understating the fact uh, and, the, and the fact that you have him in the past being a good receiver out of the backfield. I think that'll be more on display. So uh, a guy who's been at the back end of the number twos uh, can probably get back to that back end number one where he would have been drafted so long ago uh, based on those high expectations and the glory of those five or six monster games that he had a year ago, but now you still have the specter of LeGarrette Blunt stealing away the goal line in short yardage touches, but running between the tackles, again, with Wentz under center, should make things a lot easier. Mike, is Will Fuller going to keep up his production or the concern that you finally put him in the lineup that he puts up a stinker? Well, there is that, right? When you have as many touchdowns as he has per per catch, a ridiculous rate of return. I mean, if you'd you know, just parlayed it week over week uh, in some kind of mutual fund account. Uh, you paid off in great dividends, and you can have your island and retire. Uh, here we're, we're looking at what, what we have with Deshaun Watson uh, and the downfield passing game being just immense, even this past week, in a rough spot with a lot swirling around, still went after the Seattle secondary. He's still worthy of a third wide receiver slot. There are going to be a couple of bus games in here. You can't score every week uh, unless he becomes the outlier in the, the new uh, Metahuman, uh, if we're going to take the X-Men and all our fun science fiction movies in. It's Halloween. we got to get some weird stuff in here. Uh, so, for Will Fuller, uh, he's been, again, based on where you would have drafted him or picked him up off the wire, uh, tremendous returns. But we have to expect some bumps here along the way. Uh, probably a guy I'd be looking to sell high, perhaps, if I needed some help at running back or at the tight end position. To use your arbitrage analogy, are you buying Kelvin Benjamin in Buffalo? We know he had out Standing rapport with Cam Newton when healthy in Carolina. How's it going to work with Tyrod Taylor? Uh, He's going to work to a better uh, catch radius, right? With Cam a bit erratic, so that's where the the wingspan of Benjamin came into play. Taylor a little more uh, methodical and and accurate in in the passing game and desperately in need of a number one wide receiver. Uh, So we'll look at him and we'll take him as as a mid-number two with a couple of number one spots uh, once he's got this full offense uh, under his belt. But for Tyrod Taylor, uh, he's the big winner in this whole process because with Charles Clay sideline, they've been making plays and LaShawn McCoy getting back into the good graces of fantasy owners and dominating once again. But Tyrod Taylor getting himself a true number one uh, is, is just a tremendous second-half ad. So the situation with T.Y. Hilton and the Colts prevent you from using him? At this point, yes. At this point, a guy who would have been drafted as a back-end number one wide receiver in that 9-12 to 12 range is on the outs, having to be ranked as a back-end number three uh, or desperation flex because you've got a couple of big-time 
productive games in there. But remember, those were against San Francisco and Cleveland uh, many miles ago. Uh, on the road, he's a non-factor. Every other game, you're looking at fewer than 60 yards, except for those two blow-ups. So uh, right now, just very difficult to get him in your lineup unless you're in a deeper league where guys are able to hold uh, hold guys on the bench. You know, the, the trend has been to shorten benches and promote more waiver wire activity, which would give you a shot to go find someone to replace him. Uh, but there are going to be those that, just by sheer desperation, have to keep him in, hoping for one of those 150 performances. And, Michael, because you live for minutia, and I know you love that word, Eugene is T.Y. Hilton's given first name, but you knew that, right? Sure. Yeah. Friends call him T.Y. Eugene. I know, I know everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, a savant. Eugene. Well, Eugene. we used to say idiot savant. We just go savant now because it's 2017. Fantasy you analysis. Not idiot savant anymore. That's another <laughs> phrase we've lost. With, with an old friend, I can say that because I've known Michael since 2006. No, Mike Harmon. We a lot worse to each other back in the day. <laughs> com. It was a different time then, Mike. I'm not going to talk about snowflakes here in 2017. As we think about what's going on with the Giants, I'm not going to say it's a mutiny, but we have another suspension on defense. This time it's the guy we call the Jackrabbit. No Janoris Jenkins for the New York football Giants on Sunday. Rams are loaded with weapons. Could it finally be a Sammy Watkins siding at the Meadowlands? Oh, everybody would love to see that. Coming out of the bye week, you have to think that was a big part uh, of the offense. If nothing else, just sitting him down and saying, we need you to run out every route, okay? And here's a number of instances on tape where I know you thought you were off the tape, but we, we have that spider wire we get to see now, so we see when you take a playoff. So for Sammy Watkins, they need him back in the mix if they're really going to make a push uh, at this division. You know, Todd Gurley's been fantastic, and with Cooper Cup, a little bit of Robert Woods here and there, uh, that that's fine. But they need that dominant number one that they brought him over from Buffalo to be. Uh, and against the Giants with no Jenkins, here's a shot as a high-end number three wide receiver. I can't push him that much higher because I need to see him actually finish off a game. We've only had one big performance. Everybody jumped on board, uh, and he's disappointed ever since. I wish the Chargers could actually go back uh, to San Diego because I, I think the fan base probably was a little bit bigger there. But in the past, even though they were really bad, uh, Phillip Rivers was still a good Q, a fantasy QB. Is, this, is that still the case for him right now this season? We, we've had a couple of decent spots for him, but the consistency hasn't been there. And, and that's the disappointing thing when you look at all the weapons and, and certainly you're salivating, thinking about Hunter Henry and Antonio Gates still able to sit down and get your big first downs and, and red zone looks in theory. Keenan Allen finally healthy for a full run. Tyrell Williams, you just go all, all the way down the line. I don't know about, you know, obviously you, I'll defer to your, your time in the league. Philip almost getting to where he's throwing the ball underhand, Cordell. Yes, he is. Almost like that, a that, um, that, uh, Bernie Kosar. Huh? It's a little more odd uh, each and every week, I think. Yeah, it's like a Bernie Kosar almost, kind of, sort of. I, I agree with you. Mike Carmen does it all. Quarterback mechanics, hot takes. That's why he is the Swollen Dome. Go to SwollenDome.com. Michael, Jimmy Garoppolo on his way to San Francisco. Won't start this week against Arizona. But when he's ready to go in a couple weeks, what's the fantasy value? Well, we'll take a shot. You know, there's going to be a couple of spots on, on the radar, certainly for QB2 uh, positions for Dynasty Leagues, people that had been sitting on him wondering when his new, where his new home would be. Well, uh, he's now found one. He's no longer uh, the backup in New England, just, uh, you know, the guy that everybody said, oh, there's the two best-looking quarterback tandem you have in the National Football League. No, uh, he's off to San Francisco, and you've got Pierre Garçon, uh, but you don't have much else in terms of your downfield passing game. So a uh, question in terms of how how he's going to be able to integrate other players. And Marquise Goodwin, the, the speedster, everybody keeps waiting for him to pop off. But you know, he did do it in Buffalo. He's done it only a couple of times here uh, in San Francisco. Otherwise, really just running wind sprints up and down the field. Perhaps Garoppolo will be able to change that. And for Carlos Hyde, uh, with a little more consistency downfield, maybe he can become the running back that everybody anticipated. So I, I think when we're looking at him overall, we'll find a, a spot or two uh, on the schedule later on that I think he'll be a fantasy viable. Certainly worth an add and a stash because at this point in the year, as much as you're looking to improve your roster and find your wins and play your best lineup, you also have to play a little bit of defense with those bench positions. This is an opportunity to do it. How big of a hit is Mike Evans taking with Jameis Winston's poor play this season? 
you know, we, we look at Evans overall, he would have been the top seven or eight wide receiver drafted uh, as we got into the season. And Winston, between the injury and just being erratic, uh, it certainly uh, has hurt tremendously. We've only had one or two games where he's been a real factor, four touchdowns on the year, and, and the average of only 74 yards and 30, 39 catches, five and a half isn't getting it done. So uh, when we look at him on a week-to-week basis, now in those mid-number two wide receivers, uh, you can't bench him because the target count is too high, uh, but certainly the inefficiency and ineffectiveness of Jameis Winston uh, starting to cut into those fantasy returns, getting ready to get that big bus stamp slapped on him. Very nice. I'm looking forward to you showing up with a prop. If we could do videos again, you'd have that giant stamp. Much like, let's say, Gallagher 2. I wouldn't put you in the ranks of the original Gallagher. You played the smaller venues in the late 1970s. Michael, finally, as I'm really jumping into the hot tub time machine with you, we used to record videos around Halloween. You recall I refused to put on a costume? Remember that? Circa 2007, 2008. Yeah, that's one of my bits. And whatever (laughs) they were able to convince me to wear. So, Cordell, you'll love this. Poor Mike would dress up like an apple. I'd be sitting there wearing a suit and makeup, and that was the bit. That's the the, the costume right there. That's the bit. SwollenDome.com, the etymology, ooh, on a big word Tuesday is you have a large head. Do you scare children on Halloween with that jack o' lantern head of yours? Well, there is. There's a little bit of frightening uh, level to it when you add a mask. Uh, I used to wear giant paper mache heads I, because I had the big head. They would always say, "Ah, you could do this roll too," uh, and then they'd put a paper mache head on me and, and run me into posts uh, to get back at me for crushing them on the practice field. So uh, everybody had their revenge, and they, and they got everybody in on it. So certainly the kids, and I'm a, I'm a friend to, to babies. I'm a kindred spirit there because they're little people with big heads, so they like me a lot. Uh, but once they start getting a little bit older, it's uh, you know this guy, this guy's a little odd. Just to Especially put it in context, start spouting out random statistics and telling them why their second receiver stinks. Uh, it really goes downhill fast. No, it's like you have Tourette's when it comes to fantasy football. How large is your head? What's your hat size? Uh, I'm down to a seven and seven eighths. Down to so you're off the steroids. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to wean off a little bit, trying to get lean and mean so that maybe my head will fit into a video frame. <laughs> should you I uh, and, and Cordell start working on that kind of side of things here? Well, that's, that's that's pretty impressive to shrink it, though. I, that's I thought once the head was there, I thought it was done. So well, you brought I mean, it down the, to, the it's down to can, seven can and seven eighths, right? I mean, you start having having some of the bone structure and stuff, and you lose an inch. Mike, you're not ninety. For anybody. Mike, Mike, you're not going through old age yet. But I'm glad to hear that the head is now a bit more reasonable. But remember, it's well, the that loss of hair helps there too. Well, that too, but it's that large because it's filled with fantasy goodness. There's no question about it. Pop culture, fantasy goodness, and, uh, well, enough random factoids to uh, fill the water cooler discussion for days on end. Thank you, Michael. Have fun with your kids tonight. Peace and love. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.